Destinations Beyond Expectations is powered by Group Experience. Visit groupexperience.com to learn how to build your travel tribe. Welcome to DBE. This is Stevie G, and you are listening to the podcast designed for students of travel. Make sure to check out Destinations Beyond Expectations at dbetravel.com. That is the podcast's official website, and it has some great blogs, the entire episode library, a button to support the show through Patreon, and a lot more. No matter if you're listening on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or Stitcher, I invite you to hit that subscribe or follow button. And if you can rate and review, that really helps this show bubble up in searches. Of course, Destinations Beyond Expectations is on Facebook and Instagram, so pop over there and give the show a follow. Has an international trip been on your mind? Have you ever wondered about the food, sights, and fascinating history that can be found in Egypt? My guest this week is Gabriella Candelaria from the Beige Tides blog. Gabriella visited Egypt not too long ago, and she wrote about her travel experience in a blog post that we're using to guide our conversation today. I really enjoyed talking about Cairo, an epic food tour, and more from Gabriella's adventure in Egypt. So let's get to the show. Here's my chat with Gabriella from the Beige Tides blog. All right, Gabriella, welcome to Destinations Beyond Expectations. Thank you so much for taking some time to join the show. How are you? I'm good. Uh, I just got off work, and so I'm very prepared for this. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. Well, Gabriella, today we're using your Egypt Beyond the Pyramids and Mummies blog post as a guide to help us talk about Egypt and what a visit there is like. So let's dive right in. And I want to ask you about a line that pops up early on in your blog. When talking about your visit to Egypt, you write, Egypt gave me the largest culture shock I've ever felt this far in my life in a good way. So what exactly do you mean by that? Yeah, um, so prior to my December trip, so just for everybody's information, I did uh, Greece and Egypt all in one trip with two of my best friends. And prior to this trip, I had only visited countries where I spoke the language or I was familiar with the culture. Um, So I speak Spanish and English. And so I had only visited, you know, Ireland, Australia, Costa Rica, Mexico, places that I can get around. And when I went to Greece, you know, Greece is kind of like Spain or France. It's very easy to get around. Most people speak English. I go to Egypt and it was just pure chaos. Egypt is loud, lots of beeping. People are talking with their hands. And I was not used to this kind of setting. Um, I ethnically am Hispanic and white. And so I can't really identify a lot with Middle Eastern culture. And uh, I'm also not Muslim. So there was a lot of things that kind of hit me hard when I first went. Um, For example, when I first arrived in Egypt, I didn't realize the call to prayer was going to be throughout the entire city. So at 5 a.m., I hear, you know, this loud sound and I don't know what's going on. And then I realize, oh, my gosh, it's, oh, yes, okay, everybody's praying right now. I'm so sorry. Like I, So things like that um, kind of hit me hard. But it was good because it's it's something I'm not familiar with, and I I should be shocked, if that makes sense. 
Right. So you get, you have some adjusting that you do on your yeah. end uh, as you visit Egypt. But you did do two very notable things while you were there. You took a river cruise on the Nile and you visited the pyramids of Giza. Uh, tell me about these two experiences and talk about the value of having a guide at both of these places. Uh, sure. So um, for everyone visiting Egypt, I'm just going to be 100% transparent. The Nile River cruise is kind of gimmicky. It wasn't really something I wanted to do, but my two friends were super into it. So we went and it was fun ultimately, but you just sit in a cruise boat and there's people singing in Arabic, like old Frank Sinatra ballads, which is really funny. And they encourage you to get dressed up. So we all wore dresses and heels and put on makeup um, because why not? You're in Egypt <laughs> and uh, you don't really need a guide for that, but there's two websites that I highly encourage everybody use, whether you're visiting Egypt or not. It's called Get Your Guide or Viator. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly, but it's V-I-A-T-O-R. And you can find excursions in different countries to help you figure out what you may want to do while you're abroad. And so we use Viator for the Nile cruise. And so somebody picked us up from our Airbnb drove us to the location and stayed with us the whole night. Um, so I guess the positive for using a guide for the Nile cruise was transportation. <laughs> and also we did make a stop on our way back to the Airbnb for sugarcane um, juice, which I had in Australia, but I'd never had Egyptian sugarcane juice, which is awesome. Um, so that was cool. In terms of the pyramids of Giza, you need a guide. I had never used a guide prior to visiting Egypt. I'm kind of anti-guide, not, well, that's mean. I don't like guides only because I like to do my own thing and I'm very friendly, so I'll talk to locals. I don't, I don't have any problem talking to random strangers. So the guide was helpful because one, I don't speak Arabic. Uh, two, it is, like I said earlier, it's chaotic. Once you get to the pyramids, it's actually mainly locals there. Um, I saw a handful of uh, tourists, but for the most part, it's school groups, it's colleges. They're all visiting the pyramids and they're all swarming the gates. So our guide, who was, her name was Nesma, she was amazing. She was fighting off people for us. She was pushing and shoving and yelling just so that we could get to the front to get our tickets. Um, it's also important to have a guide at the pyramids because a lot of people will ask to take your photo with them, um, primarily because you're just foreign. Uh, so she did a great job of telling people, no, you cannot take photos with these girls. Like they're here on vacation, um, which, you know, bless her because I would say yes to everyone because I'm so nice, but she just said, you know, you have to say no because there's no reason to be taking photos with children. It seems kind of weird, which I agree. Um, but she was amazing. And, she, you know, she's from Egypt. She's from Cairo proper. So that was fantastic. So I highly, highly, highly recommend maybe not a guide for the Nile cruise, but definitely need a guide for the pyramids of Giza. Can you tell me maybe a little bit more about those experiences? Like what did you see or learn I mean, did you see some wildlife while you were on the Nile cruise? And did you learn about Egyptian history while you were at the pyramids? Yeah. So uh, 
I'm an animal biologist by practice. So my degree is in animal biology and I work with primates. Um, so anytime I travel, I look for animal excursions. In terms of wildlife, I was praying and hoping to see just like one crocodile or hippo on the Nile, but it's just, I didn't leave Cairo. So Cairo, unfortunately, is probably too busy for all these animals. Um, but when you go to the pyramids, you can ride a camel. And so I'm nitpicky with what I do with animal ecotourism. And so I basically told my two friends, if you guys would like to ride a camel, by all means, I'm going to assess the situation before I ride these camels um, because I'm all about ethics. So once I got there, I actually was pleasantly surprised at how well taken care of they are. Um, they don't do long walks. It's actually a pretty short walk for a pretty inexpensive price. I think we paid like the equivalent of $16 to ride the camel. Um, and yeah, they have plenty of water and access to food the whole time. So I was like, okay, I'm game to do this. Like this is, this is what animal care should look like. Awesome. So you, you said a little bit earlier that, you know, you didn't really leave the city of Cairo. Um, but Cairo has plenty for visitors to discover. So tell us about your time exploring Cairo and what can visitors find if they get out and see the city? Yeah. So, um, the primary reason why I didn't leave Cairo was because I was in Egypt prior or excuse me, I was in Greece prior to this trip. So it was limited in time. Um, so Cairo actually has a lot to do despite not leaving although I would have loved to have gone to like Luxor and stuff or Alexandria. Um, but in terms of Cairo, I mean, it's a metropolitan city. People unfortunately have a poor perception of the continent of Africa, but I highly encourage everybody go to these large cities because they have a lot to offer. Um, so we were able to get guides to take us around different parts of the city we had somebody take us to a bazaar, uh, which was awesome. There's lots of shopping you can do. Um, we did a mosque tour. So like I mentioned earlier, I was raised Roman Catholic, not practicing now. I'm unfamiliar with what mosques look like or what they include. And so I learned so much from doing a mosque tour. Our guide, you know, she asked us to bring a scarf with us so we can cover our hair. Um, like, I didn't know you took off your shoes before you entered a mosque, which I thought was really cool. Yeah, I mean, in terms of Cairo, yeah, just go out and eat. Go on a mosque tour, visit a bazaar, go to a nightclub. I didn't get to do that, but I've heard that they're known for their um, clubs, actually. And then pre-COVID, you would be able to go to like a shisha uh, lounger bar, sit outside and just smoke hookah, which I think is fantastic, but we, we weren't able to do it now. But I definitely encourage you to just go out and explore. Yeah, and one of the things, and you touched on this a little bit too, is that there's great food to be found in Cairo, which is also a great way to learn a little bit about the Egyptian people and culture you know, through the food. Um, and on your trip, you decided to book a food tour with a company called Bellies and Route, where you visited a handful of restaurants and got to try some delicious Egyptian cuisine. Uh, talk about your Bellies and Route food tour. How was the food, and what did you learn on the tour? Yeah, so 
if your listeners get one thing out of this whole podcast, <laughs> it's to book a tour with them, Bellies and Row. I discovered them on YouTube. So that's one thing I do before I travel is I YouTube a bunch of videos on where I'm going. And I found a couple who use them as guides to get around Cairo to try new foods. They were ridiculously professional, such kind people. Um, both girls who started and run the company are Cairo natives. And they have a no food waste policy, which I loved. So you have a small group with you. So we were with an older couple from the East Coast. And what they do is they have contracts with multiple uh, restaurants or juiceries around the city. And these restaurants are ready for you when you get there. So they'll take you to a restaurant and they'll already have like samples of all their food prepared, which was uh, awesome. And we got to see how Arabic coffee was made. We got to see how uh, falafels are made. Um, we got to try different juices. So being a Muslim country, there's not a whole lot of alcohol um, being produced and there's none being imported unless it's Egyptian itself. So juice is huge in Egypt. They love drinking juice. Like that is their social thing to do. So we went to a juicery and tried all kinds of different juices. And it was fantastic because there was foods that I had never heard of that I probably well, maybe would have tried, but I wouldn't have known to order it. Um, so for example, there's koshiri, the national dish of Egypt. And it's this delicious blend of like lentils and vermicelli noodles and rice and garlic sauce. And it's fantastic. But being who we are as Americans, I probably wouldn't have thought like to order that, if that makes sense. And the no food waste policy was fantastic. So all these places you go to, you accumulate food waste, frankly. Well, you don't eat everything because you don't want to get too full too quickly. So they bag up whatever you don't eat and whatever children or people you see on the street who, you know, frankly, beg for food, we give it to them. Um, so I thought that was phenomenal because I'd never seen anything like that before. So please, please, please book a tour with Bellies and Root. They are phenomenal people and you learned a lot of history as well as you're going along. Yeah, that's very the the no waste process, uh, the no waste food concept that they have is a really great idea. Um, yeah. Did you have a favorite dish by Ooh. chance in Egypt? Probably my favorite food that I had in Egypt was actually buffalo. I went to a restaurant after the pyramids with my guide, and she has said this was her favorite restaurant in all of the Giza area. And so we sat down family style, and we had like platters of tahini and and their version of bread pickled vegetables you get the gist but then they brought out buffalo and i was like oh my god this is delicious it's kind of like beef it, i mean it definitely tastes like beef but there's something a little bit more bright about it i don't know how to describe it but it was just so delicious and it was barbecued and you can't go wrong with barbecued buffalo <laughs> <laughs> i love that so switching gears a little bit here from food to, to a different direction, um, respecting culture and customs is something we should all keep in mind when visiting another country. Um, you you know talked about being kind of shocked when you got into Egypt, and I'm sure 
you know, thousands and hundreds of thousands of travelers experience that kind of thing every single day. Uh, but we should be mindful when we visit another country. And you talk about being mindful about what you're wearing in Egypt uh, in your blog. Can you go over some of the do's and don'ts when it comes to attire? Sure, yeah. So prior to me going to Egypt, I had done a little bit of research and I, I knew some people who went. And so I asked them kind of their do's and don'ts. And so I collected my own after I visited. Um, so definitely it's always kind of hot in Egypt being kind of near the equator. So I went in December and the weather was in the 70s. So it was pretty warm, it was comfortable. Uh, But despite that, you still kind of want to dress a little bit more modestly um, because you never know where you're going to go. For example, when we went to the mosque, you know, we were asked to bring a scarf to, you know, cover our hair respectfully. You don't have to do that. But I think our guide was a little, she felt more comfortable that we wanted to respect her religion, um, which I was more than happy to do you take off your shoes when you go to a mosque. So wearing closed-toed shoes with socks is maybe something you might want to consider. And then just generally speaking, it can be a little bit more conservative in Egypt. So covering shoulders, not having too much skin showing is a little bit more appropriate. So in that case, you know, maybe think of linen, something a little bit lighter to wear if you're going to be wearing the longer sleeve long sleeve shirts or longer pants but i have heard that if you are visiting um coastal cities it's a little bit more uh accepted to wear shorts and and short sleeve shirts as well so that's something to keep in mind just because i like to think this is not my country i'm visiting somebody else's and they have their own way of life and i can't expect them to want me to continue with my way of thinking, if that makes sense. So just keep in mind that you're a guest in somebody else's home. And so you want to oblige. Yeah. So another thing I want to ask you about is money in Egypt, because here in the U.S., Apple Pay, Venmo, and other digital methods of payments are starting to become pretty normal. Uh, But you recommend that if you're visiting Egypt, you should bring cash. What currency do they use in Egypt and why can it be helpful to have cash like on you? Yeah, um, so Egypt uses the Egyptian pound. It's nothing like the British pound, um, so keep that in mind. But when you go to Egypt, you should carry cash just because when you do visit bazaars, you're going to want to visit bazaars. I mean, one, they're beautiful. And two, they have just so much to offer in terms of souvenirs yeah, so keep some cash with you because generally speaking, nobody's carrying around a square on their phone. Uh, it's just not really a thing. But if you're going to restaurants and stuff, your car just should be okay still. But it's more of the market setting where you're going to need cash. Uh, so I recommend Googling local currency exchange, finding out where you can get Egyptian pounds. Um, if anybody is a Bank of America uh, person or user, they don't transfer or they don't um, exchange Egyptian pounds. I found that out the hard way. So I had to find out where I can get Egyptian pounds in the States prior to my leave. Uh, but with that being said, you don't have to get cash before you leave. I just it's one less thing to worry about. 
Uh, when you get to Egypt, you can exchange money at the airport. Or another thing that I've learned is ATMs. All ATMs will pull out money from your account. So you'll be able to pull out Egyptian pounds from any ATM. I did that a few times, actually. <laughs> and it all works smooth, no issues? Yeah, no, I've never had an issue. I did it in Scotland. I did it in Australia. Yeah, I did it in Egypt, and it was all fine. Um, I highly recommend it if you're running low, because it would suck to run to the airport just for cash. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it definitely would. Um, you know, I think a lot of times when people think about Egypt, like in their minds, they think about a, a very hot, warm summer-like setting, but you visited Egypt during the winter, and it sounded like you were very happy to travel there during that time of year. Um, what are some of the popular times of year to visit Egypt? And if you were going to go back, would you visit in the winter again? Yeah. Uh, ironically enough, apparently winter is the popular season. Maybe I just missed it by a few days or weeks. I'm not really sure, but... Um, Egypt typically is most popular in December and January just because the weather is like moderate. It's pretty, you know, bearable. So waking up, it's in the 60s, midday, it's in the 70s. I thought the weather was fantastic. I had no problem with it. I would definitely go back in December just because the weather was awesome. And on top of it, I don't feel like it was that busy. But keep in mind this is this was 2021 a few months ago so covid was still a thing and is still a thing currently so i feel like that probably scares a whole lot of people to not go so maybe i just got lucky but december and january i highly recommend it the weather was awesome so before your blog post that we're covering today comes to a close uh you talked about how this trip was meaningful for you because of your special connection to a reader, a dreamer, uh, someone you, someone who is fascinated with Egypt, um, and that was your grandpa. You got to experience so many amazing things on this trip, but in terms of the connection with your grandpa, what did this trip mean to you? Yeah, so he actually just passed away. Um, he passed away as I published the blog, like the, the next day, which was kind of, I don't know, funny in some ways. But um, I grew up with him telling me all about like how amazing Egypt is. He always wanted to visit Alexandria, which I didn't get a chance to visit, but because Alexandria has one of the largest libraries in the world prior to it burning down. Um, it's actually rebuilt so you can go visit it and it's beautiful. I, I Googled it, <laughs> but um he was a big reader. So for him, it was like he wanted to travel to Alexandria to see this huge library. Uh, so Egypt w was always in the back of my head, like I need to visit. And growing up, I always told my papa, we're going to go together. Unfortunately, that didn't happen. Um, but my first Airbnb in, in uh, Giza proper, I had this phenomenal view of the pyramids right outside my window. And I just remember waking up before, before my friends and I got on FaceTime with my grandpa and was like, Papa, I'm here. I made it. And he was just so thrilled. Um, you can tell that, I don't know, me, I was living through him basically. Yeah. And it was fantastic. And I, I, you know, thanked my friends for like joining along and, saying yes to even wanting to go to Egypt in the first place because 
I'm sure they had fun, but this trip was for me. <laughs> Not to be selfish, but I was like, this is for me and my papa. And I'm going to show him that I did it, that I made it. And so, um, yeah. And then I, once I got home, I, I like to make YouTube videos of my trips. And so I, I uploaded all the videos and he was, he saw it and he was thrilled to see all of what I saw in Egypt. Um, so thank, thanks, Papa. <laughs> Rest in peace. But uh, I feel like this trip was more than just my Papa as well. It was like I needed to see more than what I'm comfortable with, which was awesome. That's so cool. I, I love the storyline behind that and um, the connection that you had with your Papa is really incredible yeah. that you got to share <laughs> that experience with him. Even, even though it was only via FaceTime, it was still probably a very cool moment for you guys. Oh, yeah, definitely. I know he I know he was happy. Yeah. So listeners can read all about your Egyptian experience and more travel adventures on your Beige Tides travel blog. Um, When did you launch Beige Tides and tell us more about it? Yeah, uh, a long time ago, actually. I think it's like five or six years old now. It was a secret. I didn't tell anyone for years about it just because it was like my it was it was my diary it was my journal and before it was a travel blog it was actually like recipes animal facts travel and um the ocean and then as time progressed i noticed more and more people doing really well with their blogs but i wasn't and so it really bothered me (laughs) because i i didn't want people to know about it that knew me but I wanted strangers to know about it. I know that doesn't make a whole lot of sense, but I was like, okay, I need to hone in on what my niche is. And I was like, well, I love traveling. I love, and I travel a lot. And then uh, I, I sprinkle in my animals once I can, once in a while, because ultimately they're paying for my travel. So, I started to get a little bit more focused with my blog and just doing travel content because I do it so frequently that I felt like I had enough of it to build something bigger. Um, So that's how we got to where we are today because I was frustrated with not getting enough people looking (laughs) at my blogs. (laughs) Now people know that I have this blog and uh, family and friends have been very supportive. Um, I guess, yeah, I just was scared of judgment for a long time. And now I'm like, I don't care. Whatever. You guys can all read it. <laughs> no, I love the blog and, and big shout out to the animals that make the blog and your travel possible. <laughs> Thank um, you. Where can we go to stay connected with your travel adventures on social media? Yeah, so uh, you can go to my website or my WordPress. It's just beigetides.wordpress.com. Um, I have an Instagram. It's beige tides uh and then my name is gabriela candelaria on that so if that's confusing there you go and you're more than welcome to follow me on there i tend to post when i can because i'm kind of busy i have a nine to five and uh yeah i post all my stories every day at least try to do that at the very least (laughs) so gabriela one more question for you before we close the show today Destinations Beyond Expectations is the podcast designed for students of travel. So I want to ask you, are you somebody who considers yourself to be a student of travel? And if so, you know, share something that you've learned along your travel journeys. 
I 100% am a student of travel. I think everyone should be or is, whether they know it or not. Traveling ultimately is the best teacher, in my opinion. But I do recognize that it's a privilege. So I, I can only thank my job and my parents for being so supportive in me wanting to travel. But I do want to reiterate that I have a privileged life being able to travel as frequently as I can. And so that's something I've learned in traveling, frankly, is that I have money. I can do this. And it's not accessible. And I wish it was because I wish more people had the opportunity to visit countries they never thought they would. I also learned in my traveling to push myself to do things that I'm uncomfortable with because I may never do it again. Uh, for example, in 2016, my sister and I backpacked to Nicaragua um, by ourselves. Wow. And that's something that everybody told us not to do, but we did it because we wanted to see the country our grandmother was from. So something I've learned is pushing myself and that I am privileged. And I, I hope that doesn't sound too negative, but it's something that I see a lot of people not talking about in the travel community mm. that I want to reiterate because it's important to know that you've seen multiple countries, but the person next to you has probably never left this country. So, yeah. <laughs> Sorry to be so doom and gloom. <laughs> no, I think that's great advice. And I agree that we probably don't hear it as much as we should in the travel community. And it's probably yeah. just, you know, for, uh, for anyone listening or, you know, it, it might just be a good idea to, you know, carry gratitude with you as you go yes. throughout your, your travel adventures. A hundred percent. I love that ending. So Gabriella, thank you so much for joining me today on the podcast. I really appreciate you coming by and uh, sharing your experience of your travel adventure to Egypt. Yeah, thank you so much. I appreciate you reaching out. A big DBE thank you to Gabriella for joining the podcast. Make sure to check the show notes to find out more about the Beige Tides blog. And remember, you can give her a follow on Instagram as well. If you're a fan of the Destinations Beyond Expectations podcast, don't forget to share the show with a friend and subscribe to the podcast wherever you are listening. Destinations Beyond Expectations is the official podcast of Group Experience. Visit groupexperience.com and begin building your travel tribe. If you want more DBE, you can visit dbetravel.com to find all the episodes, some fun travel blogs, and more. Before we close today's episode, I invite you to follow Group Travel Odyssey on Facebook, YouTube, and LinkedIn. Why? Well, each Thursday, I'm part of a live stream show called Destination Dispatch, where I team up with co-hosts Jim Delaman and Keith Snowd to learn more about great destinations and things that groups can do there. You can catch the show live every Thursday at 2 o'clock Eastern when they stream in real time on Group Travel Odyssey's Facebook, YouTube, and LinkedIn pages. So make sure to check Destination Dispatch out. Well, that's all I've got for today's show. Thanks so much for tuning in. Have a great rest of your day, and I will talk to you soon.